Welcome to The God Solution, a place where we discuss solid evidence for the Christian faith and interviews with leading Christian apologists. Each week, you'll be encouraged in your faith and equipped to defend it and share it in your daily life. You can find out more about The God Solution at GodSolutionShow.com. Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst. Hey there, Grant Set. And we are ready to talk about one of the biggest elections of our lifetimes, huge, if not the biggest. Huge, election. Big, big election. This represented a change from the current administration and politics as usual. And the voters were, came out clearly, I think, um, for change in this situation. I have to make a little note there. I've heard the discussion already. Yesterday on CNN, they were talking about, does this mean we have to revisit the discussion about doing away with the Electoral College? If you're, (laughs) Of course, it always goes that way when they lose. But I got to put it this way. If you're not familiar with the Electoral College, it's the most genius plan in history to give people across an entire union a say in how the leader that will lead them will lead. If it was all decided by majority vote, then California and New York would decide for everybody what's important. Absolutely. As I'm from California, and California had 55 electoral votes, and if they had the popular vote, I believe that they would even come out bigger voting because, I mean, growing up there, I knew, okay, it's going to go Democrat. It's, that's game on. But if you gave the United States a popular vote, you're going to have I think thousands and thousands and thousands of more people in California, New York, taking over. Yeah, and the problem there would be people like us here in the middle of the country, right. they could take our water, for example, because the, the popular vote there might be, take all the water, we need it here, and we would have no voice And who would lead us in that kind of situation. Right. Just a small example, but the way the system works is mm-hmm. we have a say, and whoever leads this union has to cater to our needs as well as the population center's needs. And that's why we're the United States. We Absolutely. can't just overpower a smaller state because there's less people. We're the United States. That's why the Senate, every state has two senators, and yet in the House, it goes by population. Absolutely. So the electoral system is genius. It's critical. It's important. And it worked mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you hear people talking about how this is crazy, yesterday I heard a few people talking about how this is absurd. And I explained to them how in a union you need to elect a president who will carry and be concerned with the interests of all the states in the union. And this is the only way to accomplish that. And everybody at the table went, oh, they got it for the first time. All right, so Trump won. This was an incredible election, Grant. We were up. Uh, Late into the night, texting back and forth about this. (laughs) It was fun. It was a crazy, crazy election. But as we think about the magnitude of this election, Grant, what do you think? What was at stake in this election? Man, do we have three hours or three days just to (laughs) list it off? I mean, issue after issue after issue is up for grabs. You're not just electing one person. We elected a whole worldview, a whole ideology. Uh, Trump will put into place... 7,000 plus different political appointees over a, a, a board members, departments, agencies. He's going to put in uh, 300 judiciary members, including the Supreme Court. I, I'm, I could talk all day about the Supreme Court. But those decisions to influence those committees, departments, and agencies are massive. It's a whole ideology and worldview. And as we know, the Republican and Democratic stances are completely opposing, whether it's pro-life, whether it's Israel, 
they have different stances on everything. Things like Iran getting nuclear weapons seven years from now. That won't happen now, Lord willing. I sure hope not. I sure <laughs> hope not. Things like terrorism being confronted or passively being allowed to, to expand and thrive. Things like unborn babies being protected or not. Right. You could go on and on and on and on. The direction of this country, the policies, populism and mm -hmm. liberalism mm -hmm. versus uh, our country and its needs and right. conservatism, right? The Supreme Court, like you mentioned, uh, the social issues that, that are, are kind of splitting and dividing a country. Obamacare, what do you think about that? Well, I mean, I think Obamacare has raised rates. I've heard stories from people about rates being raved, raised. We know that Obama said you, if you wanted your um, plan, you could keep it. You want your doctor, you can keep it. That has not been consistently across the board. Um, but the, make no mistake, I think the moral revolution is here. Just because Trump's in office doesn't mean it's over. I mean, Colorado and other states right now, I think one of the other issues of life that's really, really big right now is euthanasia, is doctor-assisted suicide. And I believe in Colorado, did it just get passed? It was up. It did. It just got passed. And if Trump, if Hillary had made it, I believe that would have gone to the Supreme Court and would have been federally mandated. Now, you I love so? Colorado. Ah. I bet it would have. Colorado is oh. my home state. But just the irony... Colorado voters can shoot down an amendment that seeks to define human beings beginning at conception, which, by the way, is biologically true. I will say it. I've said it before. Mm -hmm. If you can give me biological proof that life begins after birth, not after conception, I will send you $1,000. So if life does not begin at conception, go ahead and claim your $1,000. And if you can't claim the $1,000 then you're admitting that life begins at conception, which means it should be protected under law. Now, several years ago, twice, Colorado voters shot that down to protect life beginning at conception. This last election, Colorado voters, I kid you not, shot down Amendment T, which was to remove slavery condoning language in our Constitution. <laughs> If that doesn't tell you a little bit about the, um, the, I don't know what you want to, just the, yeah. the informed, can, the inform, information of the electorate, I don't know. How could you shoot down an anti-slavery proposition? Yeah, it's odd, <laughs> just contradictory beliefs. But at Contra the same, yeah. well, I think what happened is people didn't know whether it was saying they should have slavery or not have slavery. Oh, and man, people couldn't figure out how to read the uh, the proposition, and it, right. it got right. shot down. So they preserved slavery language in Colorado. Wow. <laughs> but they guaranteed the right to suicide. Unreal. Well, and the right to suicide, I think, is what we're going to have to watch in the future. I mean, we have not overturned Roe v. Wade mm. since 1973, but now, if you look at the language that's being used in self-assisted suicide, I, I criticize self-assisted suicide or physician-assisted suicide. But in the language, they say end-of-life options. So they, they mellow the language out so it's not so bad because people don't want to stay suicide. But if you look at Europe and you look at what's going on, the right to die, which sounds good at first, People will give a case if someone's terminally ill, they're suffering, they want to go, let them go. They're taking so much money off the, the, uh, our medical system because at the end of life, 
that's when most that's when we spend most our money on medical issues as we're getting older and so it makes sense from just a fiscal um, vantage point that you're going to basically kill yourself and give the rest of the money to your children right so the right to die quickly becomes the duty to die and that's what's happening in Europe and places like Holland where I believe it was Al Mohler that said it was almost like 50 percent of the people being euthanized didn't even have a say in the issue weren't aware and it's just they're being euthanized that's it and so in the United States um, I was listening to a podcast where a lady had called in or had written in, I'm sorry, and said that basically her insurance was being denied for chemotherapy and cancer because they said, well, you're terminally ill. You have a few months. Why are we going to pay for that when we can give you a cheap medicine to put you to sleep or kill you, basically? So one more example, devaluing life. We've devalued life for almost 40 years here when it comes to, I guess, for over 40 years right, now when right. it comes to abortion. And we're beginning to devalue it on the other side of the spectrum with the elderly. So in this election, we saw a clear choice between devaluing life, between populism and liberalism, and the strength of our free American country and conservatism. We saw social issues at stake, Obamacare, which is really destroying, and anybody would agree with this, even Democrats agree that it's destroying health care in this nation. Our world standing, mm -hmm. are we going to be a passive bystander when tragic things are happening around the world? Or are we, like we have for all of our history, going to stand up for freedom for all people? Are we going to protect people when ISIS threatens to take them over? Or are we going to stand back and let ISIS take them over? Uh, you just think about all these, and Grant, you nailed it. The 7,000 appointments that the next president is going to make, including up to four to the Supreme Court, including this is just incredible, but the cabinet members that they'll select. Imagine mm -hmm. some of the cabinet members that a Trump might put in his cabinet versus a Hillary. So much was at stake in this election. Right, and I mean, just the uh, Mike Pence and choosing Mike Pence as VP, I think, already says it all. And I, I don't know what to believe yet. I want to see the solid facts. I've heard Ben Carson maybe... Um, there as a um, representative to help Trump with health care, someone knowledgeable in the system. But again, before this election, and I said we need to vote for Trump, and even my conservative friends said, what are you talking about? And it was Miriam Bell and Frank Turek that I learned that it's going to be thousands of political appointees. It's an ideology. Now I, I have a lot of hope. I don't think Trump is our savior. I don't think anything like that. But I'll tell you what, if I can switch gears here to his uh, speech that he made at about 2 o'clock in the morning, I was actually highly impressed. And I was highly impressed because I didn't know what he was going to do. He can be aggressive. He can say some things that don't sound too good sometimes. And um, he got out there, and the first thing he did was he was completely gracious to Hillary. He said we need to thank her for her service. She had basically decades of service. He was completely gracious. He spent his whole time, rather than talking about himself, saying how great America was, how well we're going to do, we're going to get people back to work. I love that theme, and apparently Michigan liked it also. And then he, ha he literally pulled other people up to the mic to share the time, share the glory, if you want to put it that way, share the victory. And I'll tell you what, if you've ever seen Schindler's List, I kind of thought, hey, this guy's kind of looking like Oscar Schindler. Now, Oscar Schindler wasn't perfect. He realized he needed to help people and had some shortcomings. But he was a businessman who knew how to work with all kinds of different people, 
all kinds of varying groups and get the job done. And that's how Trump actually came off to me. Um, and Ann Coulter, as you know, was a strong, a strong um, supporter of Trump before the primaries. She said he's the only one that can go in and, and be the wrecking ball and break up what's going on. And she says basically the Republicans and Democrats have been in bed for years. And so someone needs to go in there and really change things. And he's got the personality to do it. The guy's rough around the edges. I'm not denying that or defending everything the guy says, but he's tough enough and strong enough and shows that he can get things done in the business world with so many different groups of people that, you know what, I'm actually pretty hopeful that he can he can get some stuff done. What do you what do you think? Absolutely. I mean, one thing that that we just got to remember is who you put around yourself. Mm. Nobody can do things alone. And when I look at some of the people that he's putting around himself, I think this might be why he's been successful in business. When you take somebody like Chris Christie, I'm not a Christie fan, but I'll tell you what he's done very successfully is he's worked across the aisle in a very liberal state to form alliances to get progress. Now, when you pick somebody like Christie to run your transition team, I think you're being very smart about working across the aisle to accomplish what needs to be done for America. When you pick somebody like Giuliani, who cleaned up New York in a way that nobody thought was possible. When you look at the rampant crime in our nation, when you look at police officers, uh, a couple more gunned down last week in our nation, right, right. when you look at things like this, who better than Giuliani to advise you about things regarding uh, crime and potentially putting him in as the attorney general? I mean, imagine Giuliani as attorney general. When you take somebody like Ben Carson, right, world-renowned surgeon, incredible leader, incredible conservative. You take somebody like Carson and uh, have his input in something like our fix to Obamacare or something like that. Uh, maybe appoint him Health and Human Services Secretary or something like that. You're looking at somebody that is brilliant at picking a good team to get across the finish line and to get things done. That that really strikes me as as more than just political savvy. This is acumen. This is intelligence. This is wisdom to be able to surround yourself with the, the cream of the crop that will be able to help you make the best decisions. Absolutely. Especially, I mean, nobody knows everything. And so you need to know your weak points and know where they're strong. And so I, I think that's a brilliant thing if you can go. Um, I get help at work all the time from people who are more detail-oriented, more expert scientists in different fields. And so I, I agree with you. I think it's a fantastic sign. So, Grant, you said something a minute ago. You said, I don't believe he's our savior, and I have to agree. I remember uh, I was so hopeful that, that Bush, uh, George W. Bush, right, in his first right. term, would save our nation. And eight years later, I couldn't believe we had more debt, and a lot of the things that plagued us before still plagued us. I'm not saying that Trump will be only as effective as Bush was. He might be much more effective. Who knows? But what I do know is my trust is not in a human being. In Psalm 119.8, it says that uh, we should not trust in princes, but we should take refuge in the Lord. He is our refuge. So our trust is in the Lord. That doesn't mean that as Christians we should be passive about the leadership of our country. Mm -hmm. So many Christians I knew were doing what I considered to be burying their talent. Right. They were saying, I have a vote that literally could impact the future of this nation right. one way or another. But I'm going to choose to cast my vote in a way that will not make a difference whatsoever in the future of this nation. I think that any time we choose not to make a difference, 
we're choosing to bury a talent. And that's something that I think is dangerous. I heard others saying Christians should not be pushing political ideologies. We should not be so involved in the political side of things because our focus is in Jesus. I said, you got to right. be kidding me. Right. Who else would you tell not to be involved in politics? I mean, honestly, would you tell your liberal friends don't vote? I wouldn't. <laughs> well, I might suggest it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the point is, is in a democracy, right, right. we would encourage every American to vote. And it'd be crazy to say that we as Christians should step back from the same freedoms that we encourage everybody else to exercise. So I'm having flashbacks from ru old Rush songs I used to listen to as a teenager where if you don't make a choice, that's your choice. It's true. Right? And I think it's Free Will was the song. Um, but yeah, people will say, well, Jesus wasn't political. Jesus was also not a citizen. We are citizens. Have a democracy, and, right? <laughs> right, right. And we yeah. are citizens who have been handed the right to vote on literally a blood-stained silver platter given to us by military, by entrepreneurs who risked everything. And all we have to do is walk someplace and check a box. I, I cannot believe, I cannot believe that we won't vote. I know people have been, I think, tr not tricked, but I think people misunderstand it. I think they really misunderstand it. And I think maybe... I mean, I mean, let me kind of think in, in favor of some of my friends that I respect that said I can't put my name next to Trump. I, I think they believe they were somehow morally culpable if their name was next to Trump, and I 100% disagree with that. Every single time we vote, it is a lesser of two evils argument. And some people went into philosophical reasons why that doesn't make sense, like you can't. it's a lesser of two evils. It's always lesser of two evils. And William Lane Craig spoke about this on his podcast, I think just a, a week ago, really. And he brought out that nobody's going to be perfect. It's always a lesser of two evil. And so I think we need to be political. I listened to a guy named Neil Mammon, um, an Indian, and he has a great book called We Should, Why Aren't You Involved in Politics? And that's basically what he's bringing out is, you know, you don't legislate anything other than morality. So whenever you hear that slogan, oh, you can't legislate morality, uh, talk to Frank Turek, who wrote a book on it, who said, what else do you legislate? Right. <laughs> I mean, do you legislate immorality? Everything we legislate is morality. We want people to be safe and wear um, car seats. I mean, that's safety. That's almost like a moral issue in itself. So we don't legislate immorality. Absolutely. Now, I think... If, if you're just tuning in, you might be going, what is this, all this political talk? <laughs> we are a show that talks about answers to humanity's questions about God and also God's answers for humanity's questions. And in our country, God has answered a big human question, that of how we will govern ourselves, right. with an incredible political process that enables us to be a part of the, the process to have freedom to vote. I beg you to uh to use those those freedoms so if you're just tuning in you are listening to the god solution show still and we're talking about the election thanks for tuning in and so i just want to kind of piggyback on the whole can christians be political should christians be political here's my question do you want religious freedom because religious freedom in this country in the first amendment i mean right the first two parts of the first amendment the freedom of religion and the freedom to exercise and practice religion those are constitutional rights grounded in our creator and so if you don't want religious freedom don't vote and so what you're really saying is if you if you're really saying christians shouldn't be involved in politics let anti-christians let secular people take over 
but then don't be surprised when religious freedoms go down. And a lot of people said that. The church needs persecution. And I said, you might be right, but woe to us if it comes to us because of our negligence, right? It should come not because of our negligence. Right. God has given you gifts and called you to steward them well. My challenge is to steward them well, not to bury your talent. Okay, so we've kind of hit that pretty well. Here's what I kind of want to um, ask you, Grant. Do you think maybe people's uh, reluctance to vote for Trump was because of this perception of him as a bigot, a misogynist, a homophobe, a racist. Mm -hmm. I heard those words and, and much worse about him before and after the election. Do you think that affected people's willingness to vote for him? I think it absolutely affected him. And I, I take my hat off to Christians who looked at that and said, you know what, I don't agree with that. And I had to kind of take a step back because at first I was just very frustrated at the Christian leaders and conservatives who came out very publicly and said, I can't vote for Trump. I, and I thought they were just losing a lot of votes for Trump. And the problem with that is we do, we, we still need to vote. We still need to vote and we're going to vote for someone who's not perfect. So the question is, is Trump a racist? Here's the thing that I heard that kind of convinced me, no, I don't think he is, because I was hearing it on the news media. He's a racist. We're going to invade Mexico. We're going to, they took every non-smart statement, or some of his statements were just plain stupid. Let's just put it that way. Um, and they took it to another level. And so what I did was I said, well, is there any history in his business practices or in his personal life of racism and bigotry and uh, abusive women or something like that? And it turns out, no. I mean, when you watched, I think it was the second debate, and at the end, it was, it was kind of funny. They said, say something positive. What's the most positive thing you can say about your opponent? And Hillary immediately said, I want to compliment um, Trump on his children. And nobody debates that his children are articulate. He seems to have a great relationship with him. And that's kind of what Ann Coulter was bringing out is, in his personal life, he's likable. He's a nice guy. He's down to earth. He grew up on construction sites and fields and working and stuff. The way Hillary was growing up in politics, he was growing up on the work site and with people and with teams. And so that's kind of the question I would put out. If you're out there and you're, th you're scared and you're thinking, oh my gosh, what's Trump going to do? Yeah, I'm not saying take your guard down 100%, but just look at the evidence and see, does he really discriminate? Or does he just say maybe inflammatory things? Is he just not PC? And this is where we got to think critically. So a lot of what we've seen is classic poisoning the well. Poisoning the well is a logical fallacy when instead of debating something on its merits, you just say that the other guy is a stupid idiot and anybody that votes for him is a moron. Now, the second you hear that, you go, well, I'm not going to vote for that. I don't want to be a moron right. voting for a stupid idiot. Right. Now, I actually saw headlines in major news publications that were almost word for word that, <laughs> that right. unintelligently written. I, I heard people using a mild profanity in their headlines about Trump. It was, it was hilarious. It was poisoning the well. Absolutely. And here's how to test that. And you can kind of do this on both sides with Democrats and Republicans. All you have to do in a conversation is say a name and watch the sound that comes out of their mouth. So if you talk to someone who's more liberally minded, my friends and stuff, um, and you just say, Sarah Palin, oh, they're stupid, they're stupid. Bush, oh, they're stupid, they're stupid. And then you ask why, ah, sometimes they have some statements. Now, I'm not excusing Republicans either. You can say, Al Gore, oh, he's stupid, he's stupid, or Obama. 
And so I would just encourage, no matter what side you're on, what your politics are on, um, keep yourself in check. Don't fall into that habit. I've done it. I've found myself taking sides, and then I have to keep myself in check and say, you know what? I need to look at the person, and it doesn't matter whether it's Hillary, Obama, uh, Bush, Al Gore. It doesn't matter who it is. I need to look and say, okay, let me look at what their actions are, and if I disagree with their philosophy and their politics, no problem. I might stand completely against him. But right, in a let rational me, way. In a rational way. Let me rationally, thoughtfully, peacefully stand against that person, and that's fine. But just do it for yourself. Don't let the media do it for you. So I encourage you, if you're absolutely terrified and mortified about <laughs> what happened on Tuesday, relax. Step back. Mm. Realize that you might have been misled by the classic poisoning of the well that happened over the course of this election cycle, over 90% of the articles were, were derogatory towards Trump, I heard. Right. So maybe you were misled. But you know what? Maybe maybe he is as bad as all those articles say he is. I doubt it. But even if he were, we have a system of checks and balances that has kept this country from being beholden to one man for over 200 years. So trust the system. And even beyond that, trust God. Because he can do his will in this world and in this nation. Now, if you're exuberant about a Trump win, I want to ask you to temper that, right? He's just a man. He's not our savior. So we're going to need to keep his feet to the fire here. Mm -hmm. We're going to need to keep him. Just listen, Grant, how, what's the Supreme Court looking like right now? So if you are a conservative, if you're an evangelical, if you're a Christian, um, there's actually some really, really good news. And this was one of the main reasons to vote for Trump and vote for, vote for his, his cabinet. So look at the ages of the Supreme Court justices. We've got eight Supreme Court justices. We know that Scalia, unfortunately, passed away. That is one. That is an amazing opportunity for a president to put someone in the seat. That's one. The next person is Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who's 83 years old. Anthony Kenney is 80 years old. Stephen Breyer is uh, 78 years old. The significance of those ages is even in an article by Hillary Clinton, the average age of retirement from the Supreme Court is 80. I've gone online and they've averaged the age at even 76. The point here is just to give you a little more detail when people say that the next sitting president was going to put on three or four more justices, that looks completely accurate. One is absolutely guaranteed. I would even say two. I don't know. I mean, Ginsburg in four years would be 87. Unfortunately, she has health issues. I don't, I don't see how she's going to last that out. And Anthony Kennedy would be 84, and Stephen Breyer would be 82. Those are some of the more liberal justices on the court. Absolutely. So the biggest changes on the Supreme Court, as you know, is when you switch a conservative with a liberal. I'm just broad-brushing the Supreme Court justices that way. So here are some of the, the justices that Trump promised to put on the court. Stephen Colton, Allison Aide, Ray <laughs> Raymond Grunder, Thomas Hardiman, Raymond Kethledge, Joan Larson, Thomas Lee, William Pryor, David Strass, Diane Sykes, and Don Willett, all world-class conservatives committed to some of the values that I think most Christians are. So you can envision a court where potentially three liberals are replaced with three conservatives, mm -hmm. creating a court that's more conservative than any in my lifetime, a court that might, for the first time since 73, stop the murder of a million babies a year in our nation. Now, I'm not saying this is guaranteed. It was promised. 
But here's the reality. Temper your expectations mm -hmm. and hold Trump's feet to the fire. We need to encourage him to follow through on what he promised. And I'm, I'm looking for signs for that. I mean, I'm hopeful. I'm going to be positive. And to be honest, I tried to be positive, you know, when Obama took over also. Let's be positive and pray. But um, here's what I'm looking for. What's he going to do? And if he really puts a conservative pro-life Supreme Court justice, I think that says a lot for what he did. I think just with his, his speech afterwards and how gracious he was, he completely changed gears in that one speech, which gives me hope that he's going to be um, a decent president and do what he said he does. So I think that's just that's a good sign for the future. All right. So as we conclude the show, here's what I want to let you know. One, if you are a Trump supporter, I imagine a lot in our audience are, I want to encourage you to, uh, to keep your hope in Jesus, not in a man. And two, to realize that a lot of people around you are absolutely mortified right now. So don't jump all over the place exuberant in a, in a condescending way. I encourage you to maybe back off. Don't wear your Make America Great a hat for a little <laughs> while. Uh, back down a little bit and show some, uh, some deference and some respect and some love, just like Trump did in that acceptance speech. Reach out to people with the hope of the gospel because they might need that more than ever right now. And that's the hope that I want to close this show with. Right now, if you're listening and you don't know Jesus, he promises that if you put your faith and trust in him alone, you will be saved. If you've never taken that step, you could verbalize your faith right now saying, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are, that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again to give me new life. Please come into my life as my Savior and my Lord. If you've never taken that step, I hope you will. If you have, I pray that you'd share your faith with those around you. I pray that you would, no matter your perspective, pray for the future of our nation and for Trump as he was just elected, for the transition of power, etc. And please go to GodSolutionShow.com. Let us know your comments and, and uh, maybe even donate to help keep the show on the air. Thank you so much for listening. God bless you. Give him heaven. <laughs> Amen, Grant. And uh, like I always say, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. We'll talk to you again next week. God bless you. You've been listening to The God Solution. We hope that you were encouraged by what you heard today and are better equipped to share Christ this week. You can get the audio from today's broadcast and all the past God Solution shows at GodSolutionShow.com. Thanks for listening and being a part of The God Solution.